Welcome to Queer Thinking, a podcast where we unpack queer identity, dive into issues and explore all the things that make us unique, connected and creative. Our LGBTQIA community is really special. We represent all the wonderful colours of the rainbow. And although we come together as one to support, uplift and celebrate our united community, we're all so different and each of us has a unique story to tell. From the provocative and heartfelt to the hilarious and heart-wrenching, over the next eight episodes, no topic is off limits as we invite a dynamic assortment of LGBTQIA guests onto the show to open up and share their stories. Queer Thinking is produced on unceded Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, as well as our brother boys and sister girls of the LGBTQIA community. Welcome to Queer Thinking. I'm your host, Triana Butler. Thanks for being here. Bisexuality is a misrepresented and underrepresented part of the LGBTQIA community. As more people are comfortable identifying as multigender attracted, more conversations are highlighting the nuances of bi-identity and the detrimental impacts of bi-erasure. Today, we'll be delving into the world of those who are bisexual and multigender attracted. Some studies have shown that these communities actually make up the majority of people across the LGBTQIA acronym. Never confused, never just on the way to being gay or being straight, and definitely not just a phase. Joining the podcast, we have Stephen Spencer, who first came out as gay and now is pansexual. Stephen walks us through that journey of discovery, realizing that there are binaries to break even within our own communities. He also shares his stories of navigating the world of dating while being HIV positive. Anna Kochakova also joins the conversation, sharing her story of growing up in Russia and what it was like being queer in a country where people are prosecuted for being who they are. She chats about her book, Bi and Prejudice, which is her story of connecting the dots of identity and sexuality across years, continents and cultures. And finally, I'm joined by Bree Mountain, the creative director of Biconic, an all-inclusive party and events organization for the Bi Plus community and their allies. And finally, I'm joined by Bree Mountain, the creative director of Biconic, an all-inclusive party and events organization for the BiPlus community and their allies. So Anna, Steve, Bree, welcome. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. For Thanks for having me. us. Now, the term bisexual is known by many, but it's become more of an umbrella term and it's now sometimes referred to as BiPlus or bisexual and multigender attracted. I'd love to hear from you about that shift in terminology and what that means. Let's go with brief us. Yeah, so this is something that I'm really passionate about. I think I like to use the term multigender attracted, even though it's a mouthful. <laughs> um, I think bisexual is much more known, um, and I identify by that word because it's quite well known. Um, but there are so many other identities that fall under multigender attraction and. Um, you know, things like pansexuality, omnisexual, polysexual. And I think by purely using the term bisexual, we're contributing to a level of erasure of other um, other words that people like to use in other identities that they might feel they fall under. And I think we are used to using a plus within acronyms. So I think it's a really nice way of doing that. And another way that I've heard it referred to is the bisexual umbrella. Um, so looking at bisexual as a term that kind of encapsulates quite a lot of identities. Our Mardi Gras float last year was actually 
focused on the bisexual umbrella and we had a lot of umbrellas there. So that was that was a really fun way of trying to get that um, seen by community and, and embraced a little bit, yeah. Anna, you're nodding in agreement there. I was there with an umbrella and I loved the idea of someone next to me holding an umbrella for me and then I would take turns and would hold umbrella for them. So it felt like an, felt like an embrace for everyone. So we were holding umbrellas for each other and then we were taking turns and then everybody were under an umbrella. But people's identities were so diverse and different. And I love that about bisexuality a lot. And for me, actually, bisexual word came, I feel somewhat late maybe although that's of course just my view of it but it came later after so many other words learned and i learned bisexuality as something extremely diverse and then started to bump into different ideas that people were telling me and they didn't ask me they told me how binary they felt it was and i had to relearn it again to just learn what people are saying and actually went back to the original definition that I've discovered for myself for bisexuality and was like no hold on hold on a second it actually breaks the binary but now I see what is happening around me and I realize how others may be perceiving it and therefore found the value of telling as often as possible about my definition of it would you be happy to share your definition of it? Is this the, I believe there's an original definition that was coined back in the 70s. Is this the one you're talking about? I would always go back to that if I couldn't remember it precisely. And I actually always definitely recommend looking at it. I think people feel very connected to it. I remember telling someone that I was water and that was just too confusing. And so what I think I always want to say is that I would love to allow as much space as possible for individuals to de- it for themselves because some people actually said that they felt a lot more binary and that connection actually resonated to them whereas I feel a lot more expansive but if I wanted to narrow it down and if we had more detailed conversations which sometimes happens with some of my bi friends then I would maybe even use omnisexual instead and then we have to go down the path of explaining details and the differences between the two but to me, bisexual is just such a, an, an all-welcoming definition, which I'm very happy for people to bend and move. And therefore, I believe that, that this is a capacity, as the, I think, original definition that you, you were referring to also talks about having that capacity for attraction, which doesn't necessarily have to be romantic, but inclusive of that as well. But it's a capacity for so many different options and ways of being and ways of loving and building friendships, connections and relationships, that that's what I think bisexuality is. But I'm also welcome for others to come in and bend it a little bit for themselves. I remember reading this um, this definition by um, really fa- the really famous bisexual advocate Robin Oakes. Um, and I remember reading it and I just thought this is the most calming, welcoming, nurturing open-ended definition of bisexuality that actually truly explains what I'm experiencing and how I see myself. But also, you know, my sexuality is also also informs my worldview. So it's an it's an internal look and an external look. And I've got it here. So um, Robin Oak said, I call myself bisexual because I acknowledge that I have in myself the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one gender not necessarily at the same time, not necessarily in the same way, and not necessarily to the same degree. 
And for me, the bi and bisexual refers to the potential for attraction to people with gender similar to and different from my own. And I just think that's so wonderful. Like that, that's the umbrella we're talking about. And it's not even telling you that you need to do it in a certain way. It just lets you be yourself. And I know that with my own experiences where I was in the closet for most of my life up until I was 27, and I really had to, you know, strictly tell myself, this is, this is how I have to be. And then to discover this definition that tells you you can be anything you want, it's, it's life-changing. I think I said 70s earlier and it was from the 90s, but I'm glad you found the definition. That's probably why I was having trouble Googling it. In terms of these definitions, um, how how would you distinguish what is called bisexuality from pansexuality or being sexually fluid? Like there are very much distinctions there. There are distinctions there. And, you know, within our community, there are always conversations um, and they're often lively. And I really encourage people to always talk about, um, you know, what these definitions mean to them. And I think that's the main point is what does it mean to you? What does... If you're bisexual, what does bisexuality mean to you? If you're pansexual, what does pansexuality mean to you? And uh, do you understand what, what both mean? Um, I identify as both bisexual and pansexual. I'm comfortable with both. Um, for me, that leaves it open for my attraction, which is to all genders. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's so much leeway for us to take. And it's really a space that I think um, people within our community are allowed to discuss. But so often... People from outside of our community are the ones telling us, oh, this is what bisexuality means. Or, oh, I thought pansexuality meant this. And it's like, no, like, we will tell you what it means. Um, we're having that discussion. Let us have that discussion. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all in this together. We're all in the same community and, um, and we're all sort of fighting the same fights. Steve, you first came out as gay and now you're, you identify as bi plus, pansexual, as you said. What was that process for you of owning your identity? So it wasn't really until I came to the realisation that I was in the closet. So, yes, I came out as gay when I was 13, but I wasn't running around happy and fulfilled. I was, you know, hiding a huge part of who I am. And, you know, it was a lifelong process, you know, being, you know, describing myself as gay or as homosexual didn't describe who I actually was, but I didn't have the language or the tools to actually describe what it was I was experiencing and feeling. So when I actually found out, you know, what bisexuality is, um, what romanticism versus sexuality is within that, um, I sort of realized, oh, okay, I, I actually, I've been mislabeling myself this whole time. Um, and, you know, really doing myself a disservice because, um, you know, we really know, everyone listening probably knows how good life is out of the closet. And, you know, I wouldn't wish being in the closet on anyone. And we see so many bi men in particular remaining in the closet. And all I want to do is tell them that, like, there's so much potential out there. I remember the feeling when I came out, it was like having glasses on that restricted my eyesight to just seeing black and white. And now I see in full color and that's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Anna, I know you had a, a bit of a different experience. You, you grew up in Russia. What was that experience like for you being part of the LGBTQIA plus communities over there? Oh, God, so different. I don't think I even was a part of the community at all. I didn't know there was a closet. I didn't know I had one or what I was or what my attractions were like. I strongly identified as a straight woman who was attracted to other women. 
I had no idea that there was world beyond binary and that world is not binary. And that it doesn't matter that I studied biology in school. So hello, we're missing so many bits there somehow. Where is, where is everyone? What are they reading? And I wasn't a part of the community. I don't think at all. I remember after a few years of my first few years living in Australia, somebody said, tell me more about the queer community in Russia. What is it like? It must, we have so many ideas about it. And my first sentence that came out, out of my mouth was, there's, there's no queer people. We don't have queer people in Russia. And that is actually this story. That was the narrative. And even my family and my peers didn't even use those words. We, we had all other sorts of words that would hide the word queer in it. And then, of course, uh, somebody was queer in the room. They giggled and they said, oh, come on, are you serious? Let's talk. And we did. And it just blew my mind. And that's why I didn't feel like I was ever coming out of any closet. I didn't know there was one. And also sexuality when I was living in Russia was not at the forefront of my thinking at all. There was a lot around mental health. There was a lot of work around just surviving in this country. And I think living in unofficial dictatorship is just a little bit challenging to think about anything else beyond just food, your home, your family, and um, your peers around you. So now I'm sort of going back and revisiting it and, and I'm learning what is happening for everyone. But because Russia kind of started to go a little bit backwards in their legislation since 2013 when they had this this new law out banning all the, as they call it, propaganda of anything queer. Of course, they refer to gay and they don't have conversations of anything beyond that at all. And it started just to go worse and worse from then. So for me, honestly, it's rediscovering that community or finding it almost for the first time. Let's talk about bi plus erasure and biphobia. And I, I want to come to you first on this, Brie. Um, why is the bi plus experience being erased, not just in mainstream communities, but also in queer communities? Yeah, so this is a really big part of the advocacy that I do. Um, and a lot of that goes to my personal experience. So similarly to Anna, um, I grew up kind of seeing myself or expressing myself to others as a straight woman. Um, I remember when I was 15, a friend of mine was coming out as lesbian and I remember thinking myself that, you know, I definitely had attraction to women and identified a lot in what she was saying, but there was that because there was attraction to men, um, I just assumed that it meant that I was straight and my attraction to other genders was maybe a curiosity, which I think society often does present women or um, non-binary people looking at exploring um, outside of, of heterosexuality as kind of a um, sexualized thing and, and that really fed in to me. Um, and so I, I didn't, I guess, explore it too much myself other than compartmentalizing and, and putting it away. Um, but then getting into my 20s, um, I started really reflecting more and I actually came out to a friend within the gay community and, and his response was really horrible. He told me I didn't get the golden ticket were his words, that I hadn't experienced the challenges that he had gone through. And he just completely invalidated that and, again, saw me as um, a bit curious or, or trying to have a little bit of fun by just kind of dipping my toes in. And, and if I did have relationships with men after that point, it was very much a see I, I told you moment. 
Um, unfortunately, that did put me back in the closet for, I would say, another year and a half um, until really I, I started to to meet other people or hear other stories that were similar to my own. Um, and I think, unfortunately, there is really that stigma and that understanding within society that is very binary, as Anna mentioned, um, and a lot of that does come within lesbian and gay communities. Um, another experience that I had, which I think a lot of BIPLUS women have gone through, um, is this experience of, you know, I was, I'd been on dates with lesbian women and finding out that I was BIPLUS came with this stigma that I would just leave them for a man, that it wasn't genuine and they didn't want to pursue relationships for that reason. So within my own experience that was quite prevalent but it wasn't until talking with others that I realised that it was so commonplace. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I've been working with so many others to try and challenge and a lot of that is about educating community about the experiences and really trying to um, have more voices and representation saying that this is valid and challenging that through um seeing that <laughs> that we are there and that we are um a legitimate orientation and and that there needs to be more acceptance of that um yeah yeah i know certainly myself i'm bi i kind of dance around the bi and also ace area it's complicated uh aren't all things um but uh, one of the things that I've heard and certainly a lot of my bi friends have heard is that oh it's just a phase or you're just confused or you're just it's kind of a halfway house between between coming out as actually being something else how does those kind of phrases um, you're all nodding in agreement so it looks like you're all saying yep I've heard that too how does hearing those things how do you feel about that I mean I I was confused but that confusion came because of the way others saw me, not how I saw myself. I think um, people saying things like I don't get the golden ticket or that I'm going to go off with a man, that is confusing because the world isn't seeing me for the way that I see myself and that's a very confusing situation. But I think as we move into spaces where the views expressed externally from people are more accepting, that confusion diminishes. And I think, um, you know, the confusion isn't internal. It's from growing up in a society that doesn't understand or accept our identities. Anna, what do you think? I remember I had to take some time to think about what's with the face, what, what, what we're so worried about having a face and what does it actually mean? And Maybe as a, as a English being my second language, I was wondering why, why we have this a little bit of a negative meaning to the face, because there was a face in my life that when I was a child, and then there was a sort of a phase in my life where I was developing in the womb, and there was a phase in my life when I went to university, and I feel like I've had so many meaningful, beautiful phases and some challenging phases as well. And I realized that people were telling me about that migration, and I was going through some change from being straight to being gay and I'm just a little bit stuck here but even if that was true because that may be someone's experience even if that was true why can't we treat it the same way we treat say going from from first year of school to then university and there's a whole transition in between and it's so beautiful but I've noticed and over time and realized that they were talking about more of 
me deciding who I was so that they could make sure that they treat me accordingly. And it felt like that it wasn't really about me telling them, hey, look, I've decided I'm straight, I'm going back, or hey, I've decided to move forward and I'm gay. And those were not my words. It turned out that people just wanted to tell me who I was according to their worldview. So they knew how to treat me. And so they could then exhibit their attitudes towards me based on, on their beliefs. And they realized how much of people's insecurities are projected onto me. And I didn't have to feel confusion anymore. But sometimes I'm still getting quite angry. I'm like, come on, we had this conversation many times. Let's move on. Steve, what about you? How do those kind of comments about bisexual people just being confused, how do those kind of comments make you feel? Well, I am confused, but for many other reasons. <laughs> I'm, fairly, I'm fairly certain in my sexuality and comfortable and proud of it. But, like, you know, to say that it's like a, a route to somewhere else, uh, mind the pun, uh, you know, to say that it's a route to somewhere else, like, no, this is, like, 100% the destination and if I'm being honest with you, it's probably the destination for most people if we created a society that was actually welcoming and accepting of multi-gender attractive people. Um, there, you know, if we just go back to our first topic, looking at the, the definition of bisexuality, there's so much room for movement. And one of the things that I had to come to terms with um, after coming out and then maturing as, as a bi plus man was realizing the fluidity that can exist within it and accepting that within myself and going with the flow, like um, not pushing against the flow, but going with it because, um, you know, that's where I'm happiest and healthiest. And that doesn't mean that I'm changing my mind. But, you know, if, if, if I'm only having sex with women for six months and then only having sex with men for six months, that doesn't make me from straight to gay. That makes me 100% bisexual 100% of the time. There's one important thread across all of your answers and, and all your responses here, and it was that it's not us that are confused, it's everybody else who are confused about us. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like that's something that you see, like especially if you see uh, bi people maybe at a, a pride march or something like that or at a queer event and they're in a different gender relationship and you hear people saying things like well why are, why are these straights here why are the straights here at the queer event uh, I, which absolutely feeds into the bi erasure that we were talking about earlier I'm, I'm curious to know if you all have experienced that and and how it feels how that affects your identity yeah, so this is something that is a big part of, of why I started an event called Biconic, um, which I, I think I'll speak to a little bit more later. But if you are in a different gender relationship and you're moving into those spaces, I think that that does bring that experience of being quite nervous of how you're going to be treated within that. And, you know, I've been very active as a bi-plus advocate and, you know, have um, led a lot of those marches within parades um for a lot of that time I was with a different gendered partner and I remember we actually won an award for one of our biconic floats and I brought my partner um who is a man along to um <laughs> along to the the Mardi Gras awards and I just remember being so nervous of walking into that space and what that was going to be like um and I don't I don't know what the views in that room were it, it could have been that everyone in that room was very accepting but I think when there are all these conversations about you're just confused this is just a phase um you know even the word hetero 
presenting is something that um, I think we really need to move away from. It's it's all about, again, those assumptions that other people are placing on you and that behaviour dictates your identity. And, you know, it's it's a big part of why I started these events because I wanted to create a safe space where people could bring any partner along to or get a bit close to someone on the dance floor of any gender identity without being worried about um, the way that the world was going to see them. I know that the queer party scene, I always hear the language of, oh, have you noticed all these straights coming in? And and my response is that well, my, my events welcome the straights because they might be our partners, you know, they might be our friends that want to come along and party with us. Um, we don't we don't have friendships purely with, you know, I don't only be friends with bi plus people. <laughs> and I think that push, um, especially when we're looking at, at partners, of kind of opening that up and going that, you know, if this is a space where you feel safe and this is a community that you want to be amongst, you shouldn't have to step away from that purely because who you just happen to be dating at the time. And I think, you know, I dream of a world where Biconic doesn't necessarily have to exist because all queer spaces are inclusive and and people don't feel worried about those things. But I think for the time being, um, I don't know that we're there yet. I think we're getting a lot closer. But, yeah, it is definitely a challenge. for people, I think, within the bypass community. Well, while we're here and while we're talking about Biconic, you're the creative director at Biconic, which is an all-inclusive party and event organisation for Australia's bi-plus community and their allies. Tell me more about it for people who haven't heard about it before. Yeah, so um, Biconic has a really great story in terms of how we started. It was in 2018. Um, I had actually posted on Facebook asking if there was a, a BiPlus float in Mardi Gras that I could be a part of. Um, BiPlus Visibility Day had just passed and I couldn't find any events to go to and that made me quite sad. So I went, okay, I'll, I'll be a part of a Mardi Gras float. Then we, I realised that there weren't any, um, there hadn't been for about 10 years in, in terms of what I understood. And that was really just so strange to me. Um And so, you know, I'm posting on Facebook and someone said, well, why don't you just do it? And I eventually went, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, We started a campaign online called Be Seen, and that was to try and find the people to come on our float. Um, You know, they joke, we joke a bit about the buy invisibility cloak. And it was like, okay, if we don't have an established community right now, in Sydney, how are we going to find these people? Um, and then a, a local queer venue, the Imperial Iconic Queer Venue, saw what we were doing and they reached out and said, do you want to do a party? And so we did a party to raise money and it was huge. And we had people travelling hours to get there. We had one person that travelled from Yas, which I absolutely adored. <laughs> and we raised money for our float and people just loved it and said they hadn't been amongst community before or they hadn't been to a queer event and felt that safe or they hadn't felt comfortable going to a queer event at all. And that was when we went, even though we had absolutely no experience running events, we had two weeks to plan this. We went, there's something here and this needs to continue. And, yeah, about about 
over 20 events later and and four years later we're still going strong and it's continuing to grow um the feedback I get after every event I always end up teary because you know I'm consistently getting that same feedback of people just saying this means so much to be in a space where I feel valid where I feel safe where we don't have others seeing us as confused (laughs) going into what we were talking about earlier um and even you know Mardi Gras connected us with a lot of media when we were doing our float and we were able to really get these messages out um I think it's a really beautiful thing it's it's something that I'm really proud of you're listening to Queer Thinking today. We're chatting about bisexuality, well, bi plus, all the different things under that umbrella. Um, now, Stephen, you're bi and you're also open and public about your HIV status. What's that experience been like? Um, it's been pretty full on. A couple of months after I came out as bi, um, I was diagnosed with HIV. And that really actually uh, threw me back into the closet. Because we know how, um, you know, well, I know how um, how HIV education works. I work in the HIV sector myself, and I know that gay men, necess- but you know, usually know about things like PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, the pill that prevents HIV. Um, they generally know about U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmittable, and that means that when someone who is HIV positive and takes their medication their viral load is suppressed to such a low level they can't pass the virus on. And so I know that that education level is, um, you know, pretty high within gay men. But what about the rest of my partners? And so I was scared crapless. Like, I I just thought I'm putting that in the too hard basket. I have to deal with my diagnosis. I have to attain my undetectable viral load. I have to look after myself. And then once I sort of dealt with that, I was then able to come back and um, revisit my journey with my sexuality and it's, it's a constant journey. Um, and you know, we've really been failing the partners of bi plus people living with HIV because for example, with bi men, we're always lumped in with gay men. And so if I go, want to go to a workshop, say on how to disclose my HIV status to my partners, you know, they're workshops for gay and bi men living with HIV. And all they talk about is is um, ma- male to male um, issues. And so, if I want to learn about how to uh, discuss my HIV status with, say, women, um, where can I access that? Because um, I'm not just a man who has sex with man, men. I'm a man who has sex with women. I'm a man who has sex with trans folk. I'm a man who has sex with non-binary people. Like, it, we we limit bi plus people so much in the structures we create and the services we provide, and that reclosets us. I know so many gay men living with HIV um, who are actually bisexual. I know so many heterosexual men living with HIV who are actually bisexual. And the way that we set up our systems is to keep them in those silos and not allow them to be their full selves. And so a lot of the work that I do within the HIV sector is about um, bringing up the idea that bi plus people are whole, full people. I, I can't believe we have to say this in 2022, but it has to be said again that we are whole, full people. And, you know, to separate, say, bi plus men from bi plus women and trans and non-binary people, um, what are we doing in helping community building? We're keeping them in separate rooms. Why not put them all together? Um, especially if you're living with HIV and you need community, why not meld that together with the sense of bi plus community as well? Um, 
if we look at the social and health outcomes for um, bi men living with HIV, they're worse than both gay men and heterosexual men. We have the worst social and health outcomes of um, any male group. And the reason why that ha- that is, I think, is um, is because we don't allow bi men living with HIV to be the, their whole selves. And so I'm out here proudly living with HIV, proudly bisexual, letting people know that it's okay. And I just want, like, my partners to know about PrEP. Um, they can take PrEP that prevents HIV. But regardless, with me, all they have to worry about is um, U equals U, and that's that my undetectable viral load protects them. I literally cannot pass on HIV. And that's something that, uh, that, that sort of education on HIV doesn't reach our community that well. And, um, you know, one of the things that limits us with that is that there isn't necessarily the research on that, the way that we base policy, it's based on research. And so um, I'm currently working with the Kirby Institute on the first ever um, survey on the sexual health and HIV needs of bi-plus people. And that's the first ever in Australia. And it's going to be nationwide. And finally, we're going to find out what people know, what people want to know, and, and how we can really help everyone. Because the, the main thing that impacts me as a person living with HIV isn't the virus. Um, my medication keeps me fully healthy, fully happy. It's the stigma attached to HIV that impacts my life. And stigma comes from miseducation, poor education. It sometimes comes from hate, but usually it comes from miseducation. And so any stigma that I face from partners, it, that's from that's because we're not educating them properly. And so we actually need to look at all the partners of bi plus people and not just silo them. Absolutely. You're listening to Queer Thinking. We're chatting about the Bi Plus experience today. Now, Anna, you're an author. You've written a book, Bi and Prejudice. Tell us all about this book. Yes, that happened. And it was a bit of a surprise to myself because I didn't think I'd be writing a book, especially about my very intimate experiences of bisexuality and just my very intimate personal experiences. And it was at the time when I was separating from my very long long haul relationship that I had and also coming not so much to terms with myself but realizing who I was loving it learning how to love it understanding that me being who I am is okay and a lot of the things I was I was so (laughs) huddled I think by quite a bigoted community for so long I was too used to everything I was told so it was unraveling that and learning that and also letting go and moving away actually very quickly from that community, moving into the queer community. I literally felt like I opened the door and closed the door and then opened another door. And then somebody reached out to me looking for a writer to talk specifically about bisexuality. And I was so thrilled that I had this opportunity to do that. And I thought I was going to do it one day. And I, and I thought, you know, it's going to probably take me so many years to get used to who I am, stop surprising people so much because people keep telling me, I didn't know that about you. Why you suddenly decided to be bisexual? All these things kept happening for so long. And I just felt not confident enough to even be my skin. And I wanted to take time to heal that. But suddenly that opportunity came along and I felt like this is a perfect sort of a coma or no, like a full stop really or to my experiences. And I just wanted to, to tell the stories that were the most terrifying to me 
But I realized the stories were so similar to other people's experiences and they were not telling them and not saying it. And there were so many stories that I couldn't say even to myself. I just put them in a too, too scary, too difficult basket. And then I finally kind of let them go. I, I said them, I, I told them to so many people and I don't know who the readers are. So I, I can't sort of control who's reading it or give them a comment or any of the things. So I was terrified of that experience, but telling those stories turns out really helped people connect their own dots. And they, they would say, Oh my God, I haven't actually thought about it. So that what happened to me back when I was 10 was okay. Oh, that's, that's actually great news. And somebody else had some experience and they don't have to be the same, but just because I told say story of playing a gynecologist with my female friend when I was five is, is making it a bit softer rather than a shock to some parents. That's okay. It doesn't even say anything about sexuality, anything. It just, we were playing a gynecologist. And so all of other stories, I just wanted to make those experiences a bit softer, a bit more real and accessible to others. And Vine Prejudice was kind of boring. Well, let's bring this home. Uh, what's one thing about bisexuality that you wish people understood better? Um, I mean, I think we've spoken to it this whole time that it's real, it's valid. Um, and I think that it's unique to every individual. So one person's experience of bisexuality, pansexuality, um, being so many different ways of being multi-gender attracted, um, what you think you know about their experience is not necessarily going to be true. Have those conversations with each individual and find out what it means to them and, and um, yeah, don't make assumptions because someone has used one particular word because the way that, that we see that word or the way that it applies to our life is going to be unique. And so, yeah, have, have those conversations and, and don't bring those assumptions, um, yeah, in, into the, the bi-plus world or with the bi-plus people that you know. Anna, how about you? I feel like I really want people to just trust and believe a little bit more. If I'm telling you who I am, that's who I am instead of who you may think. And, and if I've changed my identities or any of the words that I like to use and I'm telling you about it, that's what they are. And it's also fine. Just want a little bit more trust from others and a little bit more of, yeah, I believe you. That's what it is. And I respect that and love that you exploring yourself and know who you are and exploring the language and learning things. Just have a bit more curiosity and trust in what I'm saying. Steve, how about you? Um, this is probably something that I wish someone told me when I was struggling with my sexuality. And this is that there is a space for you here with us where we've got our open arms here for you. We're waiting. Um, like we heard from Bree, there are so many events on, there are so many communities in your local area that you can connect with. And so I'm probably more speaking to the, to the bi plus people listening that, well, you know, if you're questioning or, you know, that, that you are okay, um, that there is a community here. Um, there's people aren't perfect and yeah, things can sometimes be crap, but God, life is so much better being out. Um, we're so lucky here to have this community and have each other. And we really do have each other's back. And, you know, I'm just always eternally grateful to the the bi plus people that entered my life that really saved my life in many ways. 
And so that's what I wish people understood better about bisexuality is that um, it's all set up. We're here, no matter what you want from it. We've got apps, we've got community groups, we've got memes, we've got parties. It's we've all here. We've got puns galore. <laughs> you better buy leave it. And it's <laughs> it's a really special thing. And I think just one more thing. If someone comes out to you as bi plus, um, as any of the identities within that, you know, we're welcoming you into a really special part of our life and we're bringing you in on a, a really special journey. And like Anna said, don't, don't question what we're saying. Just accept us for who we are and love us for who we are. Because if we're telling you, we love you a little bit back. In the interests of bi-visibility, last question, I promise. Who's your bisexual superhero? I cannot choose one. <laughs> to me, all the people around Australia and around the world that are helping build communities are people that mean just so, so much to me. I have had the pleasure of meeting so many important people, um, Ruby Monford in Melbourne, uh, Missy Farquhar in, in Perth, um, Amber Loomis in Sydney, people like Anna and Steve, there are people that, you know, have made it their life work to try and improve the lives of, of other BIPOS people. And there are so many people that have come out of the woodwork and that are doing this. And I think, you know, people don't realise how much work goes into doing that and how much of ourselves that we we pour into that sort of work. I mean, like Anna mentioned, she's shared some really, truly personal things about herself in the hopes that it will help others on that journey. Um, so I think, yeah, there's too many to list, but but some very, very, very cool humans out there doing a lot for this community. Anna, how about you? Of course, impossible to choose. But I'd say that, that every time I research a person, I go down the rabbit hole quite often. I really like someone and find something out about them. And then I'm digging, digging, digging. They turn out to be bisexual. Like, yes, another one. Tick. Done. <laughs> so it happens every time. I really love it. And I figured out. And then I was researching also um, queer animals. And it turns out that, I don't know, 99% or so are bisexual. So like, yes, I just love humans. And you love a bisexual, most likely. But I think one of the most inspiring thing for me is the people who reach out through my work and they say that they cannot share this little bit with them. And then they, they tell me how they feel, what they're going through. And I'm so proud of them for doing that. It's their step. It's so scary. It's so scary and so hard when you're in a really fearful, bigoted space, which I also grew up in. And they reach out and say something, perhaps even for the first time. And I'm so proud of them. And they just inspire me and remind me that anyone is going through potentially that right now. There's so many people who are going through it and anyone could be experiencing that. And it's okay. This is why believing others is so important. Give them that space because something may be brewing inside. And Steve. Yeah, I think one of the, the beauties about this question is that we really don't have to look very far. Um, I can I can see all of you on my screen right now, and you're really my superheroes. As corny as that sounds, I mean, Anna, you you provided a book that helped me understand myself, and Bree, you give me community that makes me feel loved and cared, and we have fun. And like, you know, my my superheroes are all around me, and I think that's the beauty of our community is that, you know, 
we don't have to look to a celebrity or, or a big name activist overseas. They're within arm's reach. Um, but I, if I look at the what a superhero actually means, I can actually think of one person who did rescue me. Um, and it's a, a local, a well-regarded by advocate herself, um, Eloise Montero, um, who literally plucked me out of obscurity, um, saw me when I had when I, in my time of need, when I was looking for community and couldn't find it, you know, my invisibility cloak was on backwards. I couldn't see out. Uh, <laughs> um, but I could be seen because I, I, I wrote something um, on social media and Eloise saw it and, and said, hey, you know, here's a hand. And so that was my superhero. And so I think we can all be superheroes to each other. Beautiful way to end. Love that. So Bree Mountain, Anna Kachek of uh, Steve Spencer, thanks so much for joining us today on Queer Thinking. Really glad you were able to join us. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us and thanks for giving a voice to our community. Thanks for listening to Queer Thinking, presented by the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras in collaboration with Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. If the content in this episode has raised any issues or concerns for you, support is available. For a list of support services, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash support dash networks. That's mardigras.org.au forward slash support dash networks. For more episodes of the Queer Thinking podcast and to check out upcoming Queer Thinking events, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash podcast.